All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's have a word of prayer together, and then we're going to move into our message. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for uh, this day. We thank you uh, that we get to celebrate and just got to celebrate baptism with Abel, um, to rejoice in the, the new life that you've given him, that you've given us, the, the family that you've made us in and through Jesus Christ. Lord, we get to witness and celebrate that. Thank you um, for that honor and privilege. This morning as we dive into your word, Lord, I just pray that um, it would be you who speak, that you would open our ears to hear. Father, that you would uh, open up the eyes of our hearts, that we would know your great love for us, that we would recognize that we are your children because of Jesus Christ, that you would give us eyes to see things the way that you see them, that we'd be able to love the way that you love, that we'd be able to live the way you would have us live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, I was supposed to get all the kids to come up here and watch that, and I forgot. I'm sorry. But some of them came. That's good. Uh, yeah, they came on their own, so that was great. Uh, what, a, what a great, exciting thing to get to do together. Uh, this morning, we are jumping into Ecclesiastes. Uh, we recently concluded a series through Hebrews that we had entitled, uh, Jesus is Better. Because throughout the book, uh, the, that point was kind of elevated, right? Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the temple. Jesus is better than the high priest. And in all things, Jesus is better. So don't settle for less than Jesus. We talked about that for weeks all through the spring. And this morning we're beginning a series to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, and I've entitled it Nothing Better, kind of at the risk of being redundant. But Nothing Better is repeated throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 2.24 says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil." And the intent in entitling the series Nothing Better is just to communicate that what we're getting into here in Ecclesiastes is not separate from what we talked about in Hebrews. What we're doing in the summer isn't really separate from what we were doing in the spring. It's a bit different. It's a different approach. It's, a different, it's from a different time. It's from a different author. But I, but I think that they kind of build on each other. Jesus is better. Nothing is better than him. Over the last couple of years, we've been taking our lessons in the church sort of season by season, meaning like uh, in the fall, we focus on being with Jesus and how we practice being with Jesus. And in the winter and spring, we kind of focus on becoming more like Jesus. We want to be shaped together to look more and more like Him. And then in the summer, we spend the season focused on doing the things that Jesus does. And so for the summer, I just thought a wisdom book would be appropriate. Like, what is wisdom after all, right? It's more than just knowing things or possessing a set of skills. Wisdom is knowing how and when to use your knowledge and your skills, toward what ends to use them, what's most appropriate. I think Proverbs is the most obvious choice in wisdom books. It contains, like, all these wise instructions that really say, hey, like, if you'll live this way, the wise way, you're likely going to do pretty well for yourself. And for the most part, that, that's right. 
But at the root of even those sayings and those instructions in the book of Proverbs, it really isn't that if we live life wisely and if we make all the, the right decisions, then life will go well for us. It's really about honoring God with your life by living how he instructs you. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now, Ecclesiastes is a bit different than Proverbs. It sort of just deconstructs a lot of stuff, right? Even like what we might do with some of the Proverbs in some ways. It it recognizes that, sure, like if you were to follow those instructions, this life is more likely to go well for you probably, but it doesn't always go go well for you. So if you're living by those instructions in order to gain something here on earth and have your life go a particular way here on earth, it may not pay off. You don't know what tomorrow holds. And Ecclesiastes sort of forces us to consider what, what we're after, what we're going after, who or what we're really pursuing with our life. And it helps us to start tracing like where that comes from in us and where it is leading us. Now, before we jump all the way in, I think we should just briefly talk about who wrote Ecclesiastes. And the truth is, is it's really just hard to say. The, the very first verse and some other clues throughout the book uh, certainly sort of allude to the idea that these words are from King Solomon, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, as the first verse says. But upon closer inspection, there could be a distinction drawn between the author of the book and the preacher who's quoted throughout the book. While most of the book is in the words of this, the preacher, this very first line and a few verses at the end, they sort of seem to be from another voice, right? The author seems to be somebody else, somebody who's pointing to the words of the preacher. And then like at the end of the book, if, you'll, if you turn there later on, uh, he's sort of drawing a lesson from the preacher's words and just tying it up for us. And then there's the title, The Preacher, right? It, it's a very rough translation of the word Koheleth which could mean something like collector. In this case, perhaps Koheleth is the collector of wisdom. I mean, after all, throughout the book, he's pursuing all these different thoughts and all these different experiences uh, in order to find the answers that he or even that we all uh, are looking for. But maybe he's not so much a collector as a a convener, convener, sorry, right? Somebody who convenes. That's just another possible translation of that word. It's bringing people together to learn, like a congregation. Koheleth could be sort of a title for a teacher in an assembly, hence that translation of the preacher. Either way, most of the book is in the words of this preacher, this Koheleth. But the very beginning and the very end seem to come from a different author. It's either that or the author is referring to himself as the preacher, introducing, examining his own words, and then giving a conclusion to his own teachings. So the author may very well be Solomon himself, though from what we know of Solomon's life and how he eventually fell away from God, it does raise some questions. Or it could be a teacher who's sort of like using Solomon as a character in order to teach his lesson. We just don't, we just don't fully know. Whatever the case is, The author of Ecclesiastes just gets straight to the matter at hand. Chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? All is vanity. We're going to see this time and again throughout the summer as we go through through Ecclesiastes. This reference to this word vanity, it appears over 30 times throughout the book. 
It's just obviously a central point to the preacher's purpose in writing. The word here in the ESV is translated vanity. Uh, in, in other translations, it may have a different word. The NIV uh, says all is meaningless, 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 all is meaningless. The Christian Standard Bible says futile, futile, everything is futile. It kind of seems to be a tough word to translate into an English word that we will really be able to grab a hold of. And perhaps coincidentally, it may be that struggle with translating that sort of makes the point of the original word best. Because the original Hebrew word is hevel. And it might be best translated as breath or vapor or mist. Psalm 39.5 uses the same word. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath or hevel. A breath. All is just a breath. All is a vapor. All is a mist. A smoke. Right? These are all things that are very real. Things that have purpose. Things that are beautiful in some way. If you've watched a fog right off, rise off a river, uh, they exist. They're real, but they vanish. They exist for a moment and then they're gone. They never spill, uh, fill a space for very long. They dissipate. When I see this word hevel now, I, I think of the song of the nuns and the sound of music. You know that movie, right? How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down? You know that? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down? It seems that the preacher in Ecclesiastes is set out on a quest to like find out how to catch a cloud and pin it down. He went on a quest to figure out how to pin life down, to find out what would fill us up for good and what would never vanish. And then he's come back down to tell us what he found. The preacher tells us straight away what he's found, right? Everything is a vapor. Everything is but a mist. It's a breath. It's a cloud. Fleeting. Everything is fleeting. And then he goes on to plant this question in our minds. He says, what do we gain from all this toil under the sun? What do we gain from all this toil under the sun? And this will set us off on a quest with him throughout the rest of the book, this question. I mean, just to look at the natural world around us starts to bolster the truth in his claim that everything is fleeting, that nothing satisfies, that nothing is truly gained under this sun. So let's read what he says here in, in these first few verses of Ecclesiastes 1, 4 through 11. It says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? 
It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of for, former things, and will, there, and will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after you? The sun goes around and around. The, blend, the, the wind blows off in one direction. It comes back again from another. The rain falls on the mountains. It flows into the streams. The streams flow into rivers. Rivers flow into the oceans, but the ocean is never full. It becomes a vapor or a mist, and it rises up, and it becomes a cloud, and it rains again on the mountains, and then back again. The cycle is just seemingly endless. In the same way, the generations come and the generations go. We die. And when we're dead, others will live. Others are born, they die. And so on and so forth. But the earth remains. And if this is the case, we're back to that question. So what can truly be gained under the sun? If we all die, what can we take with us? What can we gain that we can take with us? The answer is nothing. I was reminded of this truth while at the... uh, Alliance gathering this week in Spokane, Washington. During one of the business sessions, we we took a moment just to honor all of the Alliance pastors and ministers who had died since our last gathering two years ago. And it was like this long Word document that they put up on these huge screens in front of thousands of people, and they would just scroll through the document slowly, and they read each name aloud one by one, and they ask, like, if, you, if we read somebody's name and you know that person or they've impacted you, just raise your hand, right? I think it was a, a sweet and honoring and good practice that we did that. But also, I was struck by the fact that as an Alliance pastor, my name will likely scroll across that screen one day. Would any hands raise? Does anybody know me? If they even did raise their hands, though, like two seconds later, another name would be read, and other hands would go up, and the moment would be gone, what would it gain me? What would it gain me? Nothing. I'll be dead. I'll be gone. And so it is for each one of us. Whatever we get from our work in this life, it will be gone eventually with death. Regardless of what you get from all your work in this life, whether that's like a crop harvested, a paycheck, power, influence, recognition, honor, or or even just a sense of accomplishment, you in the end get nothing from your work that you can take with you. Fleeting. Everything is fleeting. Am I making you happy? As we get into this book in Ecclesiastes, the the preacher is going to really unpack more from his quest. We're going to follow the trail of even wisdom itself as as, as we see how self-indulgence and how toil and how even wisdom won't satisfy us. It won't fill us up. We're going to discover that success and wealth and honor, it can't do the trick either. We'll consider how in everything we might turn to under the sun, nothing seems to satisfy us. Nothing fills us up. Everything is fleeting. But the enigma or the paradox or the absurdity of it all, as we see the preacher say later on in chapter 3, verse 11, is this. God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
What does it matter that it's all fleeting? Why does it sting a little bit to find out that, that the, the fact that everything is fleeting, there's nothing that we can gain under the sun? I, I don't think that it would matter very much at all to us if eternity wasn't set in our hearts. If there wasn't this knowledge that we were meant for more than just death. But as it is, eternity is set in our hearts. And life is fleeting like a vapor or a breath. Look, the book of Ecclesiastes, at times it's going to seem hard. It's going to seem bleak. It maybe even seem a bit depressing because it's going to take us down these different trails and these different paths. And we're going to see the truth of the matter that life under the sun is fleeting. But there's glimmers of light also. Ecclesiastes isn't meant to take us into the dark and then just leave us there. It leads us to shine a light in the darkness. It discover, we're, we're there to discover the good news of eternity on the other side of death. And there's a clue in this opening poem that though the preacher will lead us down some pretty dark roads to face some pretty difficult and hard realities, he actually has some really good news for us. Like I said, all is vanity, 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 meaningless, meaningless, futile, everything. It's over 30 times in this short book. There's a lot of things that are repeated that we're going to get to as we go through all this this summer. But there's one specific phrase in these opening verses that's repeated just as often as vanity. And it's this phrase, under the sun. In his book on Ecclesiastes, Philip Ryken writes this, He says, this phrase, under the sun, it opens up the possibility of a different perspective. To see things under the sun is to look at them from like a ground level, taking an earthly point of view and leaving God out of the picture. And if that is all we do, then we're bound to reach the same conclusion as the novelist Henry Miller. Life has to be given a meaning because of the obvious fact that it has no meaning. But of course, this is not the right way to look at anything. There is a God who rules over the sun. So we are not limited to the terrestrial. We can also get outside of our own solar system and see things from a celestial perspective. We're going to take a long, hard look with the preacher at the things under the sun. But the clue to the good news in this book is that if there is an under the sun, then there is an over the sun as well. And it is the one who is over the sun who we are ultimately under. We are made in his image. We are created for his purposes. He has set eternity in our hearts. So it isn't that we have no purpose. It isn't that nothing can satisfy us. It isn't that our lives are actually futile and meaningless. It's that we tend to look for our meaning and our purpose and identity in things that are under the sun rather than in the God who is over the sun. Perhaps to get there and to gain that perspective, we're going to have to rule out everything under the sun to find that there is nothing better than to to live under and for God alone. After considering the endless toil of all creation, how the whole natural world just seems to go around and around forever without end and without any real satisfaction, the preacher says, all things are full of weariness. 
looking at the terrestrial, everything just keeps going. There's never any rest, right? There's, no, there's never anything new. There's, there's nothing to gain. Everything is fleeting. Everything is full of weariness. But what if we pull back from the under-the-sun perspective and we take a look around from the under-the-God-who-is-over-the-sun perspective? The good news is that the God over the sun sent his son to live under the sun, right? And Jesus did a lot of very new things. He actually came to put an end to the endless cycle of sin and toil. Jesus came announcing that with his death, death is not the end for us. And to lead us through his own life and death and resurrection into the reality of eternity that is set in our hearts. Jesus, who all things were created through and who will be exalted as king forever, he stepped into our present space and said he was the water that would forever quench our thirst, that he is the bread of life. Jesus is not fleeting. And he ascended to heaven, and he promised to come back again, and he sent his spirit to be with us and in us. And the Holy Spirit, who was hovering over the waters in Genesis, he was before all of creation, who has always been and always will be, he is indwelling us who are God's people, those of us who follow Jesus. The spirit is not fleeting. And all I'm trying to say is that God has done a new thing. And in Christ, we can actually see above the sun. And if we look up there, we'll find that whatever belongs above the sun isn't fleeting. It's forever. Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in its due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. The preacher of Ecclesiastes says all things are wearisome, that nothing is new under the sun. And he's right. Everything you look to under the sun or everything you sow in the flesh, it's all wearisome. It's all fleeting. It all leads to corruption and decay and death. But Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good. The one who sows in the flesh will reap corruption, but the one who sows in the spirit will reap eternal life. See, when you and I look to Jesus, when we look to the eternal Son of God rather than to the things under the sun for our fulfillment, for our satisfaction, we will find what is eternal. We will reap eternal life. We will, under, we will get that eternity that is set in our hearts. The reason for exploring Ecclesiastes this summer together is to gain wisdom to do the things that Jesus does to use our skills and to use our assets and our resources in a way that Jesus would have us use them, to learn how to sow in the Spirit rather than sow in the flesh. All the wisdom books of the Bible are essentially built on the same foundation. The beginning of wisdom is this, fear God and obey His commands. Proverbs itself sort of says bluntly, uh, live this way and your life will go well. And that's pretty much truth, like I said at the beginning. But Ecclesiastes recognizes that it isn't always the case. Sometimes you may act wisely. 
fearing God and obeying his commands, and things here under the sun will still go bad. Ecclesiastes is just so honest, right? Like it really allows us to face our reality of living in this already not yet kingdom of God. And so the invitation this summer is to to just first go there with us. Ecclesiastes is going to have you and I face hard, bleak, depressing realities of where finding your life in anything other than God actually leads you. And it will likely have some of us recognize the ways in which we have actually sowed in the flesh. And it will have us see where that investment is actually leading us. But the purpose isn't to leave us there. The purpose is to open our eyes and give us sight and to help you and I find our way back to the heart of wisdom, to look above the sun and to put our ultimate trust in Jesus. Charles Stanley who you may be familiar with, he died a couple of months ago. He wrote and he preached extensively. And and while honestly I didn't listen to him a lot on my own, when I was a kid living with my grandma in Phoenix, Arizona, every morning he would be on the radio. And so I listened to Charles Stanley over and over and over again for years. Uh, And though I can't point to much of what he actually said, I I know he played a part in my own faith in Jesus. But when he died, I, I went about reading some of the articles written about him and going back through some of the things that he was known for saying, and one of these statements that I came across is this thing that he just said time and time and time again was obey God and leave the consequences to Him. Obey God and leave the consequences to Him. I love that. It's been in my heart as I've been studying Ecclesiastes. I think it's the essence of my prayer for us as a church as we go through this book that we would find rest, that we would find contentment. And the fact that in Jesus Christ, under the sun has no claim on us. We are children of the God who is over the sun. And my hope is that we can then stop our striving in vain and sow in the present what will surely last forever. That we won't need to see the fruit always, right away, and everything doesn't have to go well here for us to be able to find that rest and contentment and trust in the Lord because we'll be fully trusting that God will bring it to bear in his time so that we might be people who can follow Charles Stanley's instruction to obey God. Be content with that and leave the consequences to him. That we would find that there truly is nothing better. We're going to move into a time of response as we do Uh, Each week, the band is going to come, and they're going to lead us in a time of worship through singing. And then we're going to come during that time and take communion as we do each week. I realize there's a baptismal up here. We just have to walk around it. You can come down the middle, take, go each way. Um, And as you come, you can uh, give your tithes and offerings in the back there. There's a basket. You can also give online. It's also, it's just a, a reminder that we give every week, whether that's just slipping out of your bank account or whether you're putting something in the, the plate there. It's a reminder that God is your, our provider, that he always provides and that he can be trusted. So pause and remember him for who he really is as you give. And then come and you can take the bread and you can dip it in the wine or the juice. I have to apologize. We ran out of the, the little cups if that's what you normally get. Come anyways. If you don't take it, you can just pretend to take it and, and you know, uh, <laughs> 
we'll, we'll get that we're doing this together. Um, when we come and we do this, we're remembering and we're proclaiming Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Right? We're remembering that this is true, that Jesus came under the sun, that he lived and he died and he rose again. He gave his body for us. He gave his blood for us. And he rose again to become our Lord and Savior and to lead us back into that eternity that was set in our hearts from eternity past. That's something to remember. And then we're proclaiming it to one another. In our action, we're proclaiming this is true. This is who Jesus is. Take Jesus. Remember Jesus. He's made us one family. And so we invite you to come and to take and to remember and to proclaim Christ with us, whether you're a member at Redemption Church or not. If you believe in Jesus, if he's the Lord of your life, come and remember him and proclaim him along with us. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to move into this time. Our Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. The gift of your son, Jesus. The great gift of your great love for us. I mean, we're captive here to under the sun. We're captive to sowing in the flesh. We're captive to corruption and decay and death because of sin. But Jesus came for us. He put off being over the sun. He came to live under. He gave his life for us. He rose again, and he has defeated sin and death. He has restored us to eternity. And then all of that is this proof that you can be trusted. We can trust you with forever. We don't have to see it. Everything doesn't have to go right for us here. Because we already have this promise of everything right for eternity. And you can be trusted. I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to identify those places that we are sowing in the flesh rather than in the spirit. I, help you, I ask that you help us to uh, give that over to you, to submit to your ways, to walk in the spirit, and to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, and to make Jesus known in all that we do. Lord, that we would be a people who are doing the things that Jesus does. And in so doing the things, those things, we would make you known to one another and to our city. I pray these things in Jesus' name.